It's been uh, customary for me, uh, pastoring new community, it takes some summer months to go away, to rest. This summer was packed with uh, spending time with family. My wife and I and our kids went to Korea for three weeks or two weeks, came back, and uh, just this past week, we hosted her older brother. She has two older brothers and their two little girls for a week. So it's, it's been a month-long hosting, being with family um, time. And uh, it's been good, enriching, and to be honest, kind of exhausting. Um, it always is when uh, you're around family uh, all the time. But uh, the other thing is, whenever I go uh, away for the summer... I normally come back preaching on things that God has placed in my heart. And this summer is no exception. So this summer, um, many of you know, we began the year talking about emotionally healthy spirituality. And the big premise, if you weren't with us, is is this principle that we can't be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature or emotionally healthy. And that they're very much intertwined. And we talked about how emotions is just a, a peripheral thing to a vital, not just Christian life, but living whole, but that it is an integral part of what it means to grow spiritually. And, and this summer, um, I got a chance to kind of delve deeper into something that we got glanced over in the eight weeks that we spent on emotional healthy spirituality, and that is embracing the gift of limits. As a pathway to healthy whole spiritual life. Embracing the gift of limits. Embracing the gift of limits and finding joy and contentment in those God-given limits as a pathway to healthy whole spiritual life. Um, I check up on you on Facebook once in a while. Don't worry. I don't stalk you on Facebook. I just glance over stuff. And I glance over stupid food pictures, and once in a while, I'll get to a status that kind of captures my attention. And this was one of those examples. Feeling limited is not an unfamiliar experience for me. But when I became a mom, and still wanted to be everything I was before that, feeling, that feeling of being limited became more common and more intense In the past couple years, I felt my spirit's willfulness to do more beat against my body and mind. I felt a voice of self-disapproval and disappointment ring within my soul. Being someone who values productivity, and I know this mom is alone in her struggles, of someone who struggles. And lives in a society that does too. I've had a mostly hate relationship with my personal limitations. Kind of recently, after a lot of reflection on whom I was becoming, these thoughts dawned on me though. What if limits were meant to be a good thing? What if God intended them to be gifts? What would it be like for me to experience my limits as, as gifts versus barriers? Seeing my limits as gifts is the journey that I'm on. Sometimes I rage, and sometimes I soar, and then sometimes I see that accepting my limits, I welcome other gifts like grace, peace, joy, help, 
community, self-acceptance, and new freedom. Can anybody relate to this mall? We struggle with this because, and, and none of this is like, whoa, deep inside, so bear with me. We struggle with this because, one, we live in a culture that I would dare say rages against limits. We live in a culture where she says, our value is measured by productivity. You know what this is like. I know what this is like. We are surrounded and bombarded at work, at home, in our culture that says, how productive are you? How much are you producing? Because that's where your value comes from. And so no wonder that many of us don't know what it's like to do a 40-hour work week. No wonder we have no idea what it's like to take a day of Sabbath, the rhythms that God intended for us, because we think that's just normal not to. We live in a culture that says, limits? What limits? Are you a loser? We also live in a culture that says that we can be anything we want to be. Put your mind to it. It's the American ideal, right? Set your mind to it. Try it. You live for this. We have movies like Limitless starring, what's his face? I know his name. I just didn't want to say it. Come on. We have TV shows. Apparently it was canceled after season one. And parents, in case you're thinking, is it that obvious? No, the subtle message actually creeps into some of our well-known Disney movies like Frozen. Yes, your pastor is going to sing a line from the song, Let It Go. Does this sound familiar? Because your kids, my kids, just soak it in without even thinking. Lines like, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong. <laughs> what happened at church today? My pastor saying, let it go during his sermon. Oh, about myself. Listen, this is very important. That line, no right, no wrong. No rules for me. I'm free. We're just saying along. Yeah. No lip. What's the message? You can live without limits. Why would you why would you limit yourself? The problem, of course, is, and again, this isn't like, whoa, Peter, that's deep insight. The problem is what, church? We have... I know you hate that word. And Dan Radakovich, how ironic that you're sitting in front today. <laughs> and for those of you who know Dan, say it with me. We hate... You see, you don't even want to say that word. You don't even want to say that word. Limits. Because you feel like, what? But we have limits. Like physical limits. Can I share something really embarrassing? I have this reoccurring dream. You know what the reoccurring dream is? I'm standing on the mound at Wrigley Field pitching. (laughs) Some of you know I played high school baseball. And part of my dream was maybe play major league ball. I'm 5'9". 
Not that, you know, if you're short, you can't. I had dreams of wanting to dunk. I have, I could go on and on and on, but not just athletically. You and I have physical limits where if you don't rest, you don't eat well, you don't watch and sat, body breaks down. We have other limits like, I'll put it this way, relationship status limits. The Bible says that both marriage and singleness come with tremendous opportunities as well as God-given limits. There are limits that married people can't do. And there are certain limits that singleness brings with it. What about this? Seasons of life limits. I know that there's some of you that are in your 20s that are saying, why do these doors keep closing? Sometimes when we're young and we don't have enough experience, certain doors of opportunity will close. But we rage against that and say, why? Some of us in our older years, our body and our health, limits us from being able to do certain things that we used to do. Parents, each child you have, while a gift from God, constitute limits on what, where, and how you see your life to serve God. And I see this so, it's so intensely in so many of our single parents. You want to live your life like you have no kids. And you still go, when I was single or even married with no kids, I used to. And you all of a sudden realize that what, where, and how you use your gifts to serve God becomes limited. There are seasons when parents need to be home more. And later, when parents become empty nesters, but that comes into freedom as well as limits because parents, empty nesters, you no longer have the level of influence you once had on your children. Some of us will enter seasons where I was in Korea this summer and my mom has diabetes, osteoporosis. She is... Uh, physically not doing well. And I imagine in the next 10 years, certain limits will enter my life as I, oldest son, begin to think about, even from a distance, what is it going to be like to care for my aging parents? Some of you have children with special needs. Ecclesiastes 3 says, there are seasons for every purpose under heaven. Listen, church, very little is permanent in life. Very little is permanent in life. And so if you do not know and embrace limits, what about time limits? You only have 24 hours in a day. Really? Really? You live like there's 28 There's only 24 hours in a day. And yes, not just hours time. There is number of years here on earth. We briefly covered this during our series. I think this is one of the reasons why we don't grieve our losses well. Why? Because there is that limit that ultimately all of us have certain years on earth. And after that, that's it here on earth. And because we rage against limits when we experience loss, we go, what was that? And we struggle. Lastly, capacity limits, intellectually, talents, gift-wise. 
Nobody in this room has every spiritual gift. And I thank God for that. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to each Christian just as he determines. And the Bible says instead of being resentful at what you don't have and envious of what other people have, recognize that all of us have been given certain gifts. And others have limits. Do you know why this hits me so personally? I'll just be honest with you. When I look back on my 46 years of life and the major disappointments, heartaches, headaches, pain, some of it, most of it perhaps, comes to my failure to embrace limits. Let me give you examples. It's because of my failure to embrace limits that I find myself comparing myself to other people, wishing that I can do what they do I mean, as a pastor and be what they can be without recognizing God has given me gifts that they don't have and he's given them gifts that I don't have. There is a script for your life. Are you living someone else's script for your life? Are you living someone else's life? There is a script and it requires a character. You just might not be the character that that script requires. There is a kingdom assignment with the name on it. It might not be your name on it. It's my failure to embrace limits that causes me to not wait on God's timetable. What timetable? It's my failure to embrace limits. God-given limits out of grace that causes me to want to prove myself. I just say this. If you live your life from the posture of I'm going to prove myself to my parents, myself to my co-workers prove you become dangerous because the essence of the gospel says hello anybody because of Jesus you and I have what nothing to prove do you realize the most emotionally healthy spiritually rich person that ever walked on the face of the earth his name is Jesus embraces God given limits joyfully Think about this with me. In nature, the uncreated one became creation. The uncreated one became creation. The one who put the stars in the sky was hungry. Hungry. He was thirsty. And yes, ultimately, he succumbed to death. Ministry-wise? Ministry-wise. He doesn't. Do anything for 30 years of obscurity, three years of ministry. He doesn't heal every sickness, doesn't cast every demon. And then he says this at the end of his life. John 17, 4, I have completed the work you gave me to do. He says at the end of his life, I have no regrets. I have done everything you gave me to do and vice versa. And none of the things that you did not give me to do. Limits. Then why is it that you and I feel like we have never enough time? Why do you and I always feel like we have no margins in life? And please, for the sake of Jesus, give me a break. I'm talking to myself, by the way. Why do we rage against limits? Why is it that we are so far from being able to say, I did everything you gave me to do, and I'm at rest? 
See, see, I feel like I'm talking to myself this morning. Does this, are you hearing me? church for the next uh, three weeks this is the journey that we're on because I will tell you this I don't care how long you've been a Christian I don't care how much ministry good work you're doing I don't, I don't care about any of that because if you today walked in here and you know you are living without limits in the name of Jesus or to be a good person or to prove myself. You know this is you. My prayer for you this entire week has been this. Do not. For the sake of discomfort or I know you got all kinds of questions but what about, but what about. We'll get to those in the next two, three Sundays. Today, though, we got to get back to the basics and open your Bibles to Genesis 2. Because what I want to do is I want to take you to the most foundational aspect to lay some, as you know I always do, the groundwork. We're going to look at brief passages in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. The reason why is because we need to go back to how God created Creation, what he intended when he created things. And by the way, real quick, Genesis is not about how and when. Listen, Genesis is not about did God create the earth in six literal days. That's not what Genesis is about. We could have the debate. It's not about that. It's not about how, how and when. It's about who. Who created all this? And the answer is God did. Created beautifully and intricately by God creator. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And there's shalom. That's how everything begins. There is shalom. There's peace. There's harmony between us and God, us and each other, and all of creation. And then God says this in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Verse 16. But the Lord God warned them, you may freely eat a fruit from every tree in the garden. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die in perfection and in paradise. God gives woman and man the wonderful privilege of ruling on his behalf. Of subduing all creation on his behalf. Of caring for all the creation on his behalf. And he gives them, you notice that, you may freely. He gives them tremendous freedom. To eat from every tree in the garden. There is that lie. There is that lie that says God is about restricting you. There's a lie that God is about restricting your freedom. God is a a killjoy who wants to just give us tons of rules to bind us. And when God had everything the way he wanted, church, how many rules were there? How many rules were there, church? One. You could fit it inside of a fortune cookie. That's how many rules there were. God gives man and woman tremendous freedom to say, I want this relationship to be primary. There's one rule, but please notice, this is where we're going for the next three weeks. God also, in this tremendous freedom, places a limit on his creation. He places a limit on his creation. He says, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Questions asked, what was the deal about the tree? Was there anything special about the tree? Had there been no tree, they would not have eaten of it. If they had not eaten of it, we'd still be in the Garden of Eden. 
What is it about the tree? Was there anything specific about the tree? I love Francis Schaeffer, who in his commentary in the book of Genesis says this about that tree. God has not made a bad tree. He simply made a tree. And there's nothing intrinsic about the tree that's different than any other trees. Rather, God has simply confronted man with the choice. Listen, he says, he could have just as well said, don't cross the stream and and don't climb the mountain. God is saying, believe me and stand in your place as a creature, not as one who is autonomous. Believe me, God says, and love me as a creature to his creator and all will be well. This is the place for which I have made you. What the tree did, church, was confront you and me and humanity with the ultimate question about reality. And that is this. God comes to them and says, I'm creator. You're creation. I'm the potter. Say with me, you are the clay. I'm infinite. You are what? Say it with me. God says, know your limits. Know your limits. And live within those limits. And the result is life. It's joy. It's contentment. As I intended. But you violate those limits. And the result and the consequences, God says, is death. Death between us. Death among yourselves. And death in all of creation. The tree is in the garden to ask humanity, you and me, will you trust me? And surrender to my goodness. Will you live under the limits of being human? Will you live under the limits of being human and receive it as a good gift? Will you live into your creatureliness depending on me for all things? Live Within your God-given limits. And then you may be familiar with the story. Satan comes in the form of a serpent. And what is the temptation? The temptation, you ever think about this? It's God's authority and your limits. Genesis 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Of course you may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die. Serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying to you and me, why would you embrace those limits? Don't you want to see all that's out there? Can I just ask? Has anybody ever heard that voice? Say yes if you don't you want to see all that's out there? Why in the world would you agree to these limits that this God has placed on you? Why would a loving God do that? 
Why? Oh, man, we're on such familiar emotional territory right now. Why would a loving God do that? He's holding out on you. You're missing out. Take it. Do it. Why? Because then you'll be unlimited and see all there is to see. You will be like God. You know, the horrible irony is, horrible irony, the temptation is, you can be like God. To which Eve could have said, uh, okay, we're already like God. He's created us in his image. We are already like God. So go on your way. But that wasn't the temptation. The temptation was, eat of it, for then you will be your own God. You don't need him to tell you what's right and wrong. Don't you want to judge for yours? Oh, man. I'm sorry. I do that because I hear these voices in my head. Don't you want to judge for yourself what is good and evil? Don't you want to be judged for yourself what is good and evil? Except, don't. Why would you have somebody else tell you what you can do and not do? Why would you have somebody else tell you what your limits are? Don't you want to see, be? Don't you want to be free? A couple implications about limits. First, Our failure to embrace limits distorts our understanding of freedom. Our failure to embrace limits, and I'm sorry, I don't have two hours to unpack this. Our failure to understand limits distorts our understanding of freedom. What do I mean? Our culture says freedom is what? You tell me, what is freedom in a culture? You can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. That is freedom to which I say... How can you truly be free when that thing that you freely chose to do, now you can't do without? Is it not ironic that the very things we choose in our freedom are the very things that will cost us our freedom? Is it not the very things we choose in our freedom that will cost you your very freedom. I'm free to drink my life away. Are you free? I am free to sleep with whoever I want to. Are you free? You know what else this has done? So Dan, it seems to me that my generation and younger live in a world that's told them, you're free, you're free, you're free. And we seemingly in this country have more opportunities, right, than any other generations before them. Do you know what I get, though? Do you know how many 20-somethings I get at a coffee shop? They go, I don't know what I want to do with my life. It seems like it's one thing to be our own gods and another thing to rule our own universe. 
It seems like one thing to go, I want to be my own God. And yet we get our own world and we don't even know how to rule our own universe. It seems that maybe we weren't created to do whatever I want whenever I want to. Because unlike what our culture says, instead of leading to freedom, say it with me, it leads to bondage. John Stott says, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. The essence of sin, listen church. And I had this conversation with my son this morning before I came to church. I didn't say, Parker, the essence of sin. I didn't say that. I said, do you know what daddy's preaching on today? He says, what daddy? I said, Genesis 3. I said, Parker, do you know what lies at the root problem of everything that we do? He says, what daddy? I said, we all want to be our own God. We all want to do our own thing. Do you see Noah? You know how he just goes, I want to do it. Do you see? I didn't say that. Parents, please don't do that. It's terrible parenting. Don't point out. At the root of everything that ails us. Cece, do you know what I'm talking about? At the root of everything that ails us is, I want to be my own God of my own universe. I want to be free. And unfortunately, it doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to bondage. Secondly, second implication, embracing God-given limits requires us to see that God is God and we are not. Can I get an amen? This is the struggle. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. If you do not get this, you will not live within your God-given limits. Isn't this why we're so tired? Isn't this why we're so exhausted? Why we're so anxious? Because we try and control circumstances. Can you control circumstances? We try and control outcomes. Can you control outcomes? We try and control the future. Can you and I control the future? No. We try so hard because we've been communicating this message. You are the master of your own universe. So we try to control our future. Try to control outcomes. Try to control people only to come crashing down. We are not God. And that's good news. You know what a better news is? The better news is that God is God, a God without any limitations. Is that good news to anybody? See, when there's another sleepless night and you're just exhausted and tired, we remember that our God is a God who what? Neither slumbers nor sleeps. When we are exhausted because we're like, oh, there's work left to be undone. We remember that when we are asleep, God is still what? At work. We also remember, we also remember, you need to get this. We also remember that when we are afraid to rest and take a Sabbath, that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in what? In vain. Is this good news? If you do not get this, if you do not get this, God is God. We are not. And that is great news. Being mature, being spiritually mature, emotionally healthy means that we come to a place where we can say, I will live within the limits that you have given me, God, and receive it as a gift. You are the only you there is. 
That's a good gift. But you is now under God-given limits. I know even though technology and science has fooled us into thinking that we can live without limits. But the reality is we cannot be anything we want to be. We're given limits to receive as a gift. Not all of you will be CEOs. Did somebody say amen? Who was that? Nate Noonan. You're already emotionally healthy, so we're not talking to you right now. I'm serious. Some of us have these grand notions of I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. When I was in Korea, my mom says to me, you know what Parker's going to be when he grows up? She goes, he's going to be the next president of the, Asian president of the United States. And I said to her, I honestly, I said to her, I said, no, mom. (laughs) Do you realize how lethal and poisonous the message is to your children? But here's the thing. Here's the thing, please recognize. And by the way, there's some of you going, man, this whole message is screwing me up because you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Please, child. Please, child. Please. You know what's ironic of all ironies? You know what that passage is about? That passage of Philippians 3 comes in the context of Paul actually saying, I've learned to be content. Whether I am rich or poor, whether I have plenty or want, I can do. It is the epitome of someone who has embraced their limits. I just need to say the following, and then I need to move on. Some of you have come to the place, and I'll talk more about this the week after, where you are being forced to learn about your limits because of failure and mistakes. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you, my place where you're going, Peter, these limits in my life is because of stupid decisions or things that I've done. And you have Satan saying to you, your life is over. God's done with you. I have great news today. You guys ready? And that is this. There's nothing that you or Satan can do to thwart God's plans for your life. Is that good news? There is nothing that you or Satan can do to limit what God can and wants to do through you. Receive that. Because Satan goes, you messed up and these limits are for you forever. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says there is no failure or mistake or sin that thwarts what he wants to do in and through you. That is great news. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 6, almost done. I'm sorry, I'm not almost done. <laughs> Verse 6, when the woman saw, I'm, just, I need to get back into the rhythm of preaching again, Dan. It's been a while. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized, that Hebrew word realized, they gained insight that they were naked. In other words, oh, so there are some things that God was hiding from us. There are some things that we've never known before. Do you know what they were missing out on by embracing God-given limits? They were missing out on shame. They've never known that before. Never knew. You know what shame is? 
shame is when you're so uncomfortable with yourself that you're uncomfortable around other people. Shame is when the way you see yourself and the way you look at yourself makes you so uncomfortable that you're uncomfortable around other people. They've never known that before. When they live within God-given limits. Now, I'm going to violate it, and all of a sudden, they don't know who they are. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Colossians says you have been created by God, and what? For God. So when you're no longer connected to God, you don't know who you are. And yeah, our culture will tell you, you develop your own identity. You find your identity. You pay for your identity. You can't find your own identity. Don't believe that lie. You were created to have somebody else, our God creator, tell you who you are. But when you're disconnected from the source who tells you who you are, you all of a sudden look at other people and go, tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. Why do you think you care so much about what other people think? Why do you care, by the way, which is, I'm going to talk about next week, why we can't say no. Come on here. I will come on here. Why you can't say no? I can't say no. Why do we do that? Because I care more about what you think. Help us, Jesus. You're fundamentally created if someone else tell you who you are. That's why when you no longer hear the voice of your heavenly father saying, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. The voices of the world, the voices inside your head, and the voices from the enemy that tells you who you are becomes deafening. And then something else happened too. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. And make coverings for themselves. It's not just that they become uncomfortable in who they are in themselves. They also become uncomfortable around what? One another. They begin to hide. They can't. Why do you think you and I go, I can't let you see who I really am. Why? Because if you saw who I really am, you might not like me. You might judge me. You might reject me. So I'm going to hide. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to pretend. I'm going to front. See, if you can't be transparent with God, you'll never be transparent with other people. Why? Unless you know deep in your soul and are resting in the truth. Amber, I love you. You're my daughter. You are cherished and valued in my eyes. Unless you know that deep within, there's no chance you can be vulnerable, transparent with other people. And this isn't a Christianity thing. I don't care if you're a non-believer. This is a humanity thing. Do you see yourself in this story? Are you fronting? Are you hiding? Are you wearing masks? Effective rejecting God's limits is where there once was trust. There's now fear. Vulnerability replaced by fronting. Acceptance, now there's rejection. Where there was once unconditional love, there's judgment. Here's a key to unlocking the whole thing, okay? And this is where we're going. I need you to think with me this morning. When you look closely at the temptation, the serpent doesn't go after, listen, very carefully. He doesn't go after the existence of God, does he? You think God exists? 
He doesn't also go after the power of God either. You think he's all... He goes after what? He goes after what? He goes after the goodness of God. He goes after the good. He doesn't go, you think God exists? Not the issue. You think he's all powerful? Some of us, but mostly not the issue. The issue is, do you trust him? You think he's for you? Those limits. You think he really knows what he's doing? Those limits. You think he's for your own good? (laughs) Those limits. You think a sovereign, loving God has done it out of grace? It's about his goodness. Do you know why that's important? Here's the third principle. Embracing God's limits requires that we trust God. To live within God-given limits is going to take trust in God. Because here's what you and I will hear. You walk out of here and you'll hear this. If you listen to God, if you follow God, you embrace those limits, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. You're going to fall behind. Why would you do that? Why would you subject yourself to that? You think God really knows? You think he's for you? You think embracing those limits is going to get you where you want to go? Do you and I trust him? I'll just share my story. It's because I don't trust God that for years and still today, I do this. God, I don't trust you with new community, so I got to work harder. God, I I sound stupid just saying it. God, I don't trust that you know what's good for new communities, and I do. So I'm going to make it happen. What? God, I can't possibly rest and break because if I do, I'm going to fall behind. How am I going to be like those pastors? It's because I don't trust God's goodness that I blow past limits. You're going to need to trust God if you're going to embrace the limit of I can't do this myself and I need other people. Do you hear me? The limit of I am not Superman, Superwoman. That limit of I need other people, transparency, vulnerability. You will not embrace that if you do not trust that God is for you. Some of you have intentionally put limits around money. You've decided I'm going to put limits on how much I spend on myself. And people think you're crazy. You think you're crazy. And you're going to hear voices that say, why would you want to do that? Do you trust that God will provide? Do you? Just read a thing about a recent college graduate who was struggling with tithing. She made more money than she thought she was going to. And she decided, okay, I could either tithe the whole amount or I can give a portion or keep the... And she decided, this is a shoe of what? It's an issue of trust. Lastly, just real quick, limits of relationships. If you do not embrace God's timetable and God's limits, you're going to go, train is leaving the train station, and I need to get on that train, get on that train. (laughs) This is a song that I sing to myself, be quiet, okay? I need to get on that train, because if I don't get on that train, I'm going to be doing that what? So what? God-given limits, sexually, relationally, spiritually, I don't care. I am getting on that train. Trust him. 
Where do we get the power to do this? Cece, come on up, please. Where do you think we get the power to do this? Say it with me, church. Where do we get the power to do this? We get the power to do this from who? Jesus in the gospel. If the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, well, the essence of salvation then, John Stott says, is God substituting himself for man. Sin is man putting himself where God deserves to be. Salvation is God putting himself where only man deserves to be. See, the Genesis story is remarkable. Because man and woman decide, we are going to violate God's limits, do what I want to do, when I want to do it, nobody tells me otherwise, and unleashes into the world chaos, destruction, alienation. And what does God do? What does God have the audacity to do? What does God have the audacity to do? We find this verse in three, chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And he what? Say with me. He clothed them. Do you know what that is? God introduces for the first time a concept that they've never known, which is grace. I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. This has got to be good news for somebody in you. I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. I'm going to cover your nakedness. That is, I'm going to cover your fear, your shame, your condemnation. I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve, grace. And the animal that is sacrificed to provide covering for Adam and Eve pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that was going to come. Thousands of years later, there's another Adam. The Bible calls him the second Adam. His name is Jesus, who is also in a garden. This time, the Garden of Gethsemane. And God comes to the second Adam and also asks him a question about the tree. The first Adam, God says, obey me about the tree and you will live. But God comes to the second Adam and says, obey me about the tree and what? You will die. He comes to Jesus and says, climb the tree. Obey me about the tree, and you'll die. The Bible says that he, the cross, became a tree of life for us because it became a tree of life, a tree of death for him. Paul says in Galatians 3, probably reflecting back on Genesis 3, and this theme says this. You've seen this verse many times before. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Why is this important? It's because when you believe that, to the degree that Jesus obeyed about the tree, that he climbed the tree, that he gave his life for us on the cross, it is to that degree that we will be able to embrace God's limits for us and live in contentment and joy. Jesus is the antidote to the questions in our heads. Does Jesus know what's best for you? Look at the tree. Does he desire what is best for me? Look at the tree. Does he ultimately know and desire and want to do what he wants for my life to advance his glory and my good? The Bible says, look at the tree. 
He did that for you. He did that for me. And we can't trust him by embracing these God-given limits? Does that even make any sense? The good news is that you and I can receive limits as a gift because Jesus received his. The good news says for some of us as we take communion this morning for some of us it is you coming before God and saying God I've lived my life this entire week as if I am God I've lived my life this entire week calling my own shots being master of my own universe I've lived this week violating time limits physical limits the limits that you've graciously put on my life because I want to take control of my life I repent of that I need you And the flip side of that is receiving in faith his sacrifice for us that reminds us that when you go to him today in communion, you will not be abandoned child because Jesus was abandoned for you. You will not, no matter what you've done, where you've been, been cast out because Jesus was what? Say it with me, cast out for us. Can you embrace God's limits as a gift?